On this edition of the Federal Government Today with Francis Rose, the next phase of innovation in national security, my exclusive conversation with Michael Brown. It's Wednesday, December 6, 2022. Welcome to this preview edition of the Federal Government Today with Francis Rose. This episode will give you a taste of what to expect when this show rolls out in full on January 17, 2023. It'll feature a lot of the same kinds of discussions and topics you've come to expect on my shows in the past, the intersection of acquisition, workforce, IT, and financial management and budget in the federal government that drives how the federal government does business. The goal of this show is to help federal leaders do their jobs better and serve America better. This show will also take you all over Washington and all over the country and the world to connect you with the people who are doing that business of the federal government. And this preview is an example of that. The Defense Department's launching an investment office to channel money to the technologies it needs for the future fight. The Office of Strategic Capital will live inside the office of the Undersecretary of Defense for Research and Engineering, Heidi Hsu. Michael Brown led the Defense Innovation Unit for four years. He's a visiting scholar at the Hoover Institution at Stanford University now. In this exclusive conversation on the sidelines of an event the Navy League Center for Maritime Strategy hosted in Arlington on Tuesday... I asked him about a question he posed during the morning session of that event to the Chief of Naval Operations, Admiral Michael Gilday. We just had a chance to ask Admiral Gilday about Task Force 59, which I think is one of the most innovative uh, exercises going on uh, in across the armed forces. Task Force 59, led, led by Commodore Michael Brasseur, is right now uh, t- uh, testing, experimenting with autonomous capability. So being a Navy task force, of course, that has to do with maritime autonomy, but it's in the air, it's on the surface, and it's under the water. So uh, Commodore Brasseur is now seeing what are the capabilities of these different platforms. DIU has uh, had an opportunity to support him in a total effort that's called Digital Horizons. Mm-hmm. And uh, what uh, Commodore Brasseur is doing is saying, what's the capability of those individual platforms, but more importantly, how could I pull together the information that all those platforms are gathering to get one common operating picture? Admiral Gilday talked about its application for the Middle East, where we need to be aware of all the traffic. There's some choke points, of course, in the Middle East, and with the pivot that uh, all of our armed forces are making to Indo-PACOM, mm-hmm. uh, he's concerned that he won't have the manned ships to perform the mission to the degree he'd like, so he might be able to complement that capability with unmanned. The same thing certainly applies to Indo-PACOM because the distances are vast, so the ability to cover so much more distance, get better situational awareness, common operating picture is going to be critical there. So I think the uh, what's in front of us is how do we decide which of those platforms are the ones that are ready, seaworthy now? Uh, how do we integrate that capability, develop that company, uh, coming up in picture, and how soon can we get that deployed to other areas? I think the takeaway was very positive. It looks like he's uh, expecting that we're going to go from the experimentation phase to fielding, uh, he talked about, uh, by next summer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I think that's pretty exciting to figure out, okay, what does this look like? Which platforms? How do we integrate those? What can we do with that information for better decision-making? 
and expand that across the fleet and other regions like Indo-PACOM. I imagine of all of the elements of what you just described, Mike, the piece of it that probably gratifies you the most is the speed at, with which this is happening because that's what Admiral Gilday, Admiral Swift was on that panel, retired now. Um, but that's what they talk about all the time is they need to increase the speed with which these capabilities come online. Well, speed is certainly something that uh, uh, I'm excited to hear about, but Admiral Gilday did take the time to point out a couple of other uh, aspects. One is that uh, this is commercial technology, so it can be fielded and ramped quickly. Mm -hmm. uh, he mentioned earlier uh, in today's discussion that uh, if we uh, are called on to do something, if the Navy's called on uh, as part of a fight in the next few years, it's today's fleet, it's not the future fleet. But what he uh, also implied here is this is a way to r rapidly ex augment the capabilities of the current fleet. Mm -hmm. So there's something you get beyond waiting for the next uh, generation of ships. Uh, also, in one of the other questions uh, that was asked by uh, one of our partners from uh, uh, New Zealand, uh, how do we do this fight together? With commercial technology, it's interoperable and shareable because it's not classified. So it's something that we can work with other navies on. So mm -hmm. you can imagine, uh, as uh, the Secretary talked about today, uh, we're not thinking about a 300-some fleet navy, a 1,000-fleet navy with allies and partners. When we're all using the same commercial technology, it's shareable, it's interoperable. Yeah. So it makes us that, that much more powerful. That 1,000-ship navy was... Not the, today wasn't the first time I've heard of it, but I think today might have been the first time I've heard of it described in the level of uh, detail that it was, and especially given what you just referred to, the question from the, the gentleman from the New Zealand Navy. That makes a lot of sense, given where we are as a nation and the budget constraints that we're expecting in the next 10 to 30 years. It, it totally does, because if we think, uh, as the National Defense Strategy outlines, mm -hmm. that China is the pacing threat, they're a pure adversary, how do we get an advantage? The asymmetric advantage we have in the United States is allies and partners. Yep. So the, the more we work together, the more we do the exercises with those partners, the more we have capability we can share, that truly amplifies the strength of the U.S. forces at large, not just the Navy, but all our forces. Uh, and if we're going to compete with China, and we're now we're talking about technologically, economically, not just militarily, mm -hmm. we do need the strength of allies and partners. The combined GDP, if we take the U.S. and we start adding Australia, Japan, South Korea, Europe, uh, you start to get a much larger capability economically, technologically, uh, that allows us to compete on uh, a much more favorable basis with China. And more specifically, technologically, the, what you just described and what the CNO laid out, um, that really starts to mature the vision, fulfill the vision for JADC2, for the ability to share that information, not just across our services in a joint way, but with allies and partners. Well, that's absolutely right, because uh, if you envision uh, a future fight what's been critical for us in the past is working with allies and partners and so you need a system that is going to be interoperable where we can be sharing information making decisions together with with allies and partners um you've been out of diu now how long a couple of months yeah three or four months um what what's your greatest takeaway in the time since you left to where you are today about what's happening in the innovation ecosystem uh in the national security community mike well, I'm pleased to say uh, DIU continues with some tremendous momentum. Uh, 
DIU is about to uh, produce its fiscal year 22 report, you'll see a record number of transitions. So continuing to stay focused, not just on uh, what technology is available, but how do we get technology in warfighters' hands? I think that's uh, a strength that, uh, that DIU has been able to prove. And what I've seen on the other side, uh, as I'm able to look at more companies, more entrepreneurs, is there's never really been more interest in uh, building companies that have a national security application as well as a commercial application. So I didn't have that view inside DIU. I saw that we were able to attract more and more companies, but I didn't see just how much momentum there is. So there's more dollars being invested here, and I think uh, we'll be able to encourage that even more if the department is able to figure out how do I buy more of this technology. In other words, investors and entrepreneurs aren't there for more experiments and prototyping. Mm -hmm. They're there for production contracts. So that really is the challenge is how do we, and, and Emil uh, Gilday just a few moments ago called for this, how do we ensure we're buying more of that technology? And then we encourage that virtuous circle where the companies, the entrepreneurs, the investors are going to be paying attention to that, and that's going to encourage even more investment. We have to keep in mind that the venture capital industry is investing about 300, 350 billion a year. Not all of that's aimed at national security, but our job uh, in the Department of Defense should be how do we encourage more of that to be focused on the needs that we have. That's three times the record budget if Congress gives the Department that in FY23 for R&D. Mm -hmm. So three times as much being spent outside as inside. So we have to attract more of that capital to your point, Francis, because uh, budgets aren't uh, aren't limitless even that's though right. we're dealing with a record defense budget. No, that's right. And and I wonder if the department in your view is doing the right things to attract that capital in the way that you just described. Well, not nearly enough or yeah. fast enough. Uh, we did a study when I was at DIU to show that of the 100 vendors we had brought in, uh, there's about on the order of $5 billion of follow-on contract value, which is very good for those vendors who have Achieved that, Andro being number one, they got a billion dollars of that from SOCOM for their counter UAS uh, platforms. But that number should be at least 10 times that. It should be 50 billion because the department over DIU's uh, time since Ash Carter formed it in 2015 has bought over a trillion dollars worth of gear. So if that number can be bigger, uh, then that's going to be what really attracts more investors and more companies. Mm -hmm. um, it really is that simple. If we buy more, then uh, we're going to attract more investment and more capability focused on the department's needs. Well, it seems to me the department is certainly giving the right signs because Secretary Hsu talked about that just this week um, about how do we get the money out there. And it's not. It's, it seems to me the conversation has gone beyond the Valley of Death discussion, which was appropriate and correct over the last four or five years. But it's moved beyond that now to maybe a longer view over the horizon? Is that a fair read on my part? You I think, think there's been a lot of visibility about the Valley of Death, but mm -hmm. I don't hear the department talking about the single most important thing. I hear lots of different solutions. I heard about Raider. I hear about the Office of Strategic Capital. But let's keep in mind, the one thing we need to do and do more of is just buy more of the commercial technology. So just being focused on using more other transaction authority how, do, how can we bring this capability in, perhaps without a, a program of record, which will take two to three years to establish? So getting the flexibility to be able to make those purchases and then actually making those purchases. 
just focus on buying. Mm-hmm. That's uh, what I'd like to see the department do. All right. What does this uh, ecosystem, the innovation ecosystem, look like in your view if it's successful in five years, Mike? We really capture the momentum that has been building over the last five years so that today there's a lot more awareness that this ecosystem exists. If we went back to the time of Google and Project Maven, there'd be a lot of uncertainty about whether we were going to be able to attract uh, private capital. That, that's a question that's already been answered. It's now being deployed at record levels, and to be able to continue that and attract more of it, we just need to be buying more. So uh, what that looks like is the department has bought $50 billion instead of $5 billion worth of the commercial technology, and it's technology we know we need, cyber tools, uh, building the vendors for uh, a space infrastructure uh, that we know we're going to need. Uh, AI, autonomy. It's technology we need. It's what Admiral Gilday just talked about with uh, uh, better maritime uh, domain awareness. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we need to get on with the exercise of buying it, just like he was suggesting, getting this deployed by next summer. That's, that's what success looks like. It's great to see you on the East Coast. Thanks, Mike. (laughs) Glad to be here with you. Michael Brown, the former head of the Defense Innovation Unit on the sidelines of the America's Future Fleet event. The Navy League Center for Maritime Strategy and the Naval War College Foundation hosted that at Navy League headquarters in Arlington on Tuesday. A note of personal thanks to Admiral Jamie Fogo, U.S. Navy retired, the dean of the Center for Maritime Strategy for inviting me to lead a panel at that event with Bill Lynn, the former Deputy Secretary of Defense, and Ely Bajraktari, the former Executive Director of the National Security Commission on Artificial Intelligence. We took a deep dive on what needs to happen next on AI and national security. You'll get a highlight of that conversation on the next preview episode of this program. The federal government today is a production of the Francis Rose Media Group in Washington, D.C. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss the next episode of the federal government today with francis rose thanks very much for listening